And I want to honor and pay tribute to dads today, and, and I want to also continue our study of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to talk about how God is the God of the fatherless today, and how that, that ministry of coming alongside of us and adopting us and, and all that God has done for us is, is through the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about that today. Psalm 68.5 says, or declares, that God is the God of the fatherless. And Jesus promised his disciples in John 14, 18, he said, I will not leave you as orphans, which literally means I will not leave you fatherless, but I will come to you. Our status has shifted from that of being an orphan, which we may have never realized that we were before we knew Christ, to becoming a son and a daughter of God. We've been adopted as God's children, and this all takes place through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I was saying in the first service that many times when we read Scripture, there's a lot of language about being sons of God or being adopted as sons. And for women, you you can feel like, well, the Bible is just so antiquated. It's so uh, non-politically correct and isn't very inclusive but exclusive. But we need to understand that God in His infinite wisdom understood inclusive language ahead of time. And and what's being communicated here so that we understand is that sons in the Bible were the ones with all the rights and privileges. They were the ones that had all of the privileges of inheritance and all the riches that came with that. And so when God is using this language of sons of God, it's to say that we have the platinum status. We have all the rights and privileges of a child of God. Full status, nothing denied, nothing held back, nothing withheld. And so that is really the heart of Scripture that God wants to communicate to us. I was reading a story this week about shortly after the Korean War, there was a Korean woman who had had an affair with an American soldier and had become pregnant through that. And he went back to the United States and she was left alone with the child and After she gave birth to the little girl, this little girl ended up looking different from all of the other Korean children. She had light-colored, curly hair, and in that culture, a child of mixed race was often ostracized by the community. In fact, a lot of these uh, women in the society would actually kill their children rather than uh, bear the shame uh, of rejection that, that they would go through. But this woman didn't do that. She tried to raise her little girl as best she could for seven years. She tried until the rejection was just too much. And she ended up abandoning her seven-year-old daughter to the streets of Korea. This little girl was ruthlessly taunted by everyone and often referred to as an alien devil. It didn't take long for her to draw conclusions about herself based on the way that people treated her. For two years, she lived in the streets until finally she made her way to an orphanage. And one day, word came to that little orphanage that a couple from America was coming to adopt a young boy. And all the children in the orphanage got excited because at least one little boy was going to have hope. Well, This little girl spent the day cleaning up the little boys, giving them baths and combing their hair, wondering which would be adopted by the American couple. The next day the couple came, and this is what the girl recalled. In her own words, she said, It was like Goliath had come back to life. I saw this man with huge hands lift up each and every baby. 
I knew that he loved every one of them as if it were his own. I saw tears running down his face, and I knew that if they could, this couple would have taken the whole lot of kids home with them. Then he saw me out of the corner of his eye. Now let me tell you, I was nine years old, but I didn't even weigh 30 pounds. I was a scrawny little thing. I had worms in my body. I had lice in my hair. I had boils all over me. I was full of scars. I was not a pretty sight. But this man came over to me, and he began rattling away something in English. And as I looked up at him, he took his huge hand and laid it on my face. What was he saying? He was saying, I want this child. This child is for me. So many of us, when we think, or if we even consider that we've been adopted by God, we tend to think that we were adopted by God at our most accomplished moment or our most presentable moment. Not, as Scripture says, at the peak of our wretchedness and sinfulness. Scripture says in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were still lost, while we were still wretched, Christ came and He died for us and adopted us as God's children. And I love that it doesn't say God demonstrated His own love for us like it was an emotion that He displayed, but toward us like, a, like it was a force that He lovingly directed toward each one of us. And Scripture says that this adoption and all of its ramifications is largely carried out and fulfilled through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So I want to take some time today to just understand what it means that God is the Father of the fatherless and that He has adopted us into His family and how the Holy Spirit plays into that. So there's an outline for you in your bulletin if you want to take notes. And point number one on the outline is that The Spirit is the proof of our adoption. The Spirit is the proof of our adoption. Romans 8.15 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption, as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Slaves fear their masters, but most sons and most daughters have no fear of their father. They expect that they're going to receive love and approval and affirmation. They know that no matter what they do, they don't cease to be a child of their father because that's just something that's permanent, can't be taken away. And that phrase in the the text here, spirit of adoption, literally means the spirit that is evidence of adoption. Each one of us, when we receive Christ as Savior, Scripture says the Holy Spirit came in to indwell us. In John chapter 14, when Jesus said that he was going to prepare a place for his disciples, he said later on in that chapter that whoever loves me and keeps my commandments, my Father and I will come and we will make our home, our abode inside of you. And so that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling us. And it's the evidence, it's the proof that we are God's children that we are under new ownership, that we have a new identity. And as part of this evidence, as our adoption, Galatians 4.6 records that because of this, we're able to shout out fearlessly, Abba, Father. We have that intimacy with the Father. 
We have that relationship where we don't have to fear Him or wonder how He's going to respond to us, but we know that we've been accepted. Paul says in Galatians 4.6, Because you are sons, with all the privileges, with all the rights, because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit into our hearts so that we can cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Well, the Bible teaches that we receive the Holy Spirit by believing in Christ as Savior. John 1.12, that as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. And in the presence, the presence of the Spirit in our lives is, as I said, that proof, that, that evidence that we've been adopted as God's children. I was reading uh, the story of Lee Strobel this week. He's author of Case for Christ, and he was a renowned atheist for years. He's a pastor and speaker now, and he talks about the proof of his salvation. He says, how can I tell you the difference that God made in my life? My daughter Allison was five years old when I became a follower of Jesus, and all she had known in those five years was a dad who was profane and angry. I remember I came home one night and kicked a hole in the living room wall just out of anger with life. I'm ashamed to think of the times that Allison hid in her room just to get away from me. Five months after I gave my life to Jesus Christ, that little girl went to my wife and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what He's done for Daddy. At age five, what was she saying? She had never studied the archaeological evidence regarding the truth of Scripture. All she knew was that her dad used to be one way, hard to live with. But now, more and more, her dad was becoming something new, something different. And if that is what God does to people, then sign her up. At age five, she gave her life to Christ. Lee says, God changed my family. God changed my world. He changed my eternity. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us as believers, and it's the proof that we belong to the Lord. And the evidence of that is a changed life, a transformed life, a new power to live life. Well, secondly, the Spirit is the promise of our identity. The Spirit is the promise of our identity. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him, meaning Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. God says that we were sealed in this new relationship as His children by the Holy Spirit of promise. The Bible says that we literally have new ownership. We're under new management. And that reflects in us as having a new identity and how important that is. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. In the ancient world, when a sack or a crate or a package was dispatched, it was sealed with a seal in order to indicate from where it had come and to whom it belonged. And this custom still exists in many parts of the world today. And it's as if God is saying that you and I belong to Him, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of promise. I was thinking about years ago when my family would go to Hume Lake every year for vacation. That was kind of our thing. And my folks, would we would all camp in the public campground. And 
my brothers and I would go to the camps, even though they were like seven, eight years younger than me, and, and so we went to different camps, and my folks would go to the speakers and hear all the different pastors and stuff preach in the chapels there. And a, kind of a tradition we had, I think I've told this story before, is that my brothers and I got to go to the Christian bookstore and pick out a gift before that week of camp, something fun that we could enjoy. And I remember the, the year before I went to Metal Ranch, which was the junior high camp, the middle school camp, I remember seeing this T-shirt that kind of had these embossed letters on the front of it and said, Property of Hume Lake. And I thought, that, that, was, that was back in the day when everything kind of said, Property of this, Property of that. I thought, that's cool. And so I got that shirt and said goodbye to my folks, and it was kind of a big deal because, you know, I'm, I'm about 12, I don't think I was 13 yet, and we never went with a church group, so here I was going to camp all by myself, I didn't know anybody there, like 400 other middle schoolers from all over everywhere, and so I'm saying goodbye to my folks and looking forward to a week, week of camp, but having a little separation anxiety, and I'm walking that long road into Meadow Ranch with my new shirt, Property of Hume Lake. And as I'm walking down this road, there's this group of kids, tough kids coming at me. And back then, I, I was kind of like this little chunky, insecure kid, whatever. And I'm wearing my new shirt. And as they walk by me, one of the kids snidely says, I thought Hume Lake only owned good property. And I remember that that comment just kind of cut to my core. And I ended up going to my cabin, and I took that shirt off, and I never wore that shirt again. Brand new shirt, never wore it again because of how hurtful those words were and because how they cut to the, the core of my insecurity. And the promise that is being made here is that you and I have a new identity, and that identity is child of God. We, we had a guy come to town recently by the name of Jamie Winship. He was a, a cop in the D.C. area and then had such success with arresting criminals and getting terrorists to confess that the government hired him in the Middle East to work with terrorists and terrorist organizations. And his whole ministry is about getting people to realize their identity. And part of what he says is that many of us, without even knowing, are living a false identity. And usually that false identity relates back to a very painful, hurtful memory in childhood. And so I was thinking back in my own life because I, I lived a blessed life. I grew up in a Christian home. I had great parents and great brothers. And, and that, was, that was kind of the most painful memory I could remember was that walking into camp and hearing that comment because, as I said, I was kind of a pudgy kid. And after that happened, I really got into this exercise routine and started lifting weights and running and became very athletic. But I was on this quest to prove myself other people to prove my strength and my worth and my accomplishments because I was so insecure. And I realized that I carried that for a long time. And so one of the things that Jamie said is to ask God to reveal our true identity. And I thought, that's kind of weird that I would be a pastor now and be this far along in life and maybe still be living a false identity. I wonder what that identity would be. And so before he came to town for weeks, I was praying through this, and several weeks ago he arrived here, and that whole weekend I was praying, you know, God, what is, what is my identity? And, and two things kept coming to me. One was child of God, which I thought was pretty generic and basic, but the second was shepherd. And I said, well, God, if that's what you're saying to me, would you please confirm that for me? And I, 
I spent the whole weekend in silence and in prayer and, and really felt I was getting no confirmation from God. And I was telling the first service, if you ever feel like your prayers hit the ceiling, and please know that your pastor many times feels that as well. I struggle in prayer as well. And I remember one Sunday morning driving, doing my morning errands before church, and I finally had kind of had it with God and said, okay, I've been praying and listening for you for weeks now, and especially this weekend, and I feel like there's just nothing. So I'm, I'm going to turn on the radio now. And no sooner had I turned on the radio where two songs had played. The first was No Longer Slaves, which the chorus repeatedly says, I am a child of God, I am a child of God. And the second was Reckless Love, which has the line that God chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. And after those songs played, I was home again and had to go on with getting ready for church. And I realized that God had just confirmed my identity in two songs in order, Child of God and Shepherd, just like that. And the reason why that was so powerful to me is I realized that although being a child of God sounds so basic and generic, that's the reason why I'm in the ministry today, because I know I'm unconditionally loved. And knowing that I'm a child of God allows me to love anybody and everybody, no matter what their race, the color of the skin, their creed, their beliefs. And that's what allows me to be a shepherd, too, because I have that compassion. I have that love for other people. And it was exciting to see how all of that just fed into this promise of identity, this promise of new ownership. And I was thinking this week, the Holy Spirit is really the promise that you and I, day by day, moment by moment, are being changed. We're being transformed. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we're being transformed into the image of Christ. And one day we'll see Him face to face, and that transformation process will be complete. We will be perfected into His image. But until that day, each moment, as we surrender, as we submit, as we yield to the will of God, that transformation process is taking place. And we don't have to be insecure. We don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to wonder what God thinks of us because we know we're unconditionally loved and we have this identity in Him. Well, the last thing, point number three, is that the Spirit is also the pledge of our redemption. The pledge of our redemption. Ephesians 1.14 says that. It says the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. The Apostle Paul in the authorized version of the Bible actually calls the Holy Spirit our earnest. And that's actually what the Greek word means. It's, it's the word erebon in Greek. And Erebon was a regular feature in the Greek business world. It was a part of the purchase price of anything and everything because it was a deposit paid in advance as a guarantee that the rest would be paid in due course. It's like a down payment, earnest money that here's part of the money, I'm good for the rest, you know, but it, it was a pledge that the, the rest was forthcoming. And the Holy Spirit is that down payment of our inheritance, the pledge of our resurrected eternal life to come. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, God has established us with you in Christ 
and has anointed us, sealing us through the Holy Spirit that He gave to us in our hearts as a pledge. The Holy Spirit is that pledge. I I think of that in two ways. The Holy Spirit is part of God Himself. Something very special, very important. It's like, it's like leaving something very valuable or important with someone that ensures that they know that you're coming back. And the Holy Spirit is a pledge that we know that God is coming back for us. But the Holy Spirit is also the person through which we experience God and all that He has for us. And in that sense, we experience His presence. It's like He's never left us. I read this week about a pastor who was preparing his sermon, and his little daughter came to him and asked if they could play. And I identified with this because many times through the years, that was my girls coming to me. And the the pastor said, I I can in about an hour, but I'm finishing up my sermon. And so she said, okay, well, I want you to know that when you're all done, I have something special for you. I want to give you a great big hug. And so the dad said, I can't wait. And the little girl smiled. And as she was going to the door, she she did a surprising thing. She made a U-turn and went back into her dad's arms and gave him this bone-crushing, like, huge hug. And he said to her, I thought you said that after I was done, you would give me a hug. And she said, I know. I just wanted you to know what you had to look forward to. And I thought, that's exactly the Holy Spirit. God has given us the Holy Spirit so that you and I know what we have to look forward to. We know that He loves us and He's coming back for us. But we also get to experience what resurrected eternal life is like right now. The Scripture says from the moment that we trust God as Savior and Lord, that new life begins. And the Spirit is the one who who makes that life possible. And so we're experiencing this life as a foretaste of the life to come, of that perfected, glorified life when everything will be made right. What a sweet demonstration that is. This author said, One meaning of Christmas is that God wants us to know, through the first coming, how much we have to look forward to in the second coming. Some simple application today, some simple points. First is that the Holy Spirit is the seal on our adoption papers. The evidence and the proof that we belong to God, that we have a new owner, that we have a new identity. The Holy Spirit is the wedding ring around our finger, assuring us that we are eternally loved, that we belong to someone else, and that we are united with Christ and with God the Father and with the Holy Spirit through this deep love and commitment and faithfulness that is promised in Scripture, and we know it's a promise that will never be broken. And finally, the Holy Spirit is the earnest money, the pledge, the down payment, not only that God is coming back for us, but as I said, the reminder that He never truly left us because He indwells us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray.